today's sermon is about refugees and weeping. And I have three things to say. First, Jesus was a refugee. As a child, his parents fled with him, crossing a political border from Judea into Egypt, seeking safety from King Herod's brutal decree to have his soldiers murder all male children ages two and under. Jesus was a refugee, living in exile in Egypt until King Herod died. Jesus was a refugee. Though this is clearly a true statement according to the story from Matthew 2, and though I don't anticipate saying it here in this space among all of you is particularly shocking or controversial, it is apparently still a hotly contested assertion out there. On Christmas Day, Democratic Congresswoman-elect, now Congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, tweeted out to her followers, Joy to the world. Merry Christmas, everyone. Here's to a holiday filled with happiness, family, and love for all people. And then in parentheses, including refugee babies in mangers and their parents. And that reference to refugee babies in their mangers on Christmas Day was enough to stir up a Twitter fury storm against her, including some folks vitriolically asserting that the Holy Family was not a group of illegal aliens. While I wouldn't use that language to describe the Holy Family, I do beg to differ. Yes, indeed, Jesus was a refugee. And Jesus was a refugee in Egypt of all places. We've just come through the First Testament, so you all remember that the Hebrew people were once enslaved in Egypt. They escaped slavery in Egypt and eventually found safety and refuge in Judea, making a home there. And now a Hebrew family facing oppression and violence in Judea seeks refuge and safety in Egypt of all places. And that goes to show that no place, no land, no country, no place is always an entirely welcome. And no place is always an entirely a threat. A place of threat can become a place of welcome and vice versa. It all depends on how its peoples behave, on how its governments rule, on how its policies are enacted. One thing is steady in all of that, and that is empire is dangerous. Always. The corrupt and corrupting power of empire is dangerous always. And wherever empire is, migration is a life-saving necessity. Migration has been a life-saving necessity for as long as there have been empires. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are only one of many families through time and space who can testify to that. They crossed a political border, but also religious and ethnic boundaries in order to seek safety. And families have been doing this for as long as there have been families. Families have been doing this for time immemorial. I'm struck in this story, I was thinking about this just this morning, about this story where there's so much that is purportedly miraculous that happens in this story of Jesus' 
conception and birth and then onto his life. But in this story, the Holy Family does something that is completely ordinary. They migrate away from violence and towards safety. They do something families have been doing forever. Jesus was a refugee. I no longer recall exactly how I found it, but I stumbled across a new favorite Christmas carol this year, and it's called Away from the Manger, or in parentheses, The Refugee King. And it was written by musician Liz Weiss, whose voice I'm now semi-obsessed with. I linked the video to our SMC Facebook page the day after Christmas, so you can find it there. And I'll include it on our website when I post the sermon, so you can find it there. However you find it, I beg you to find it. It's three and a half minutes. You will not regret listening. Many of you know that I'm very much not above singing from the pulpit. I do that often, but this one's too beautiful (laughs) for that. I'm not even going to attempt it. But I will read you the words and first from the first two stanzas. Away from the manger they ran for their lives, the crying boy Jesus, a son they must hide. A dream came to Joseph, they fled in the night, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran. No stars in the sky but the Spirit of God, led down into Egypt from Herod to hide. No place for his parents, no country, no tribe, And they ran, and they ran, and they ran. The first thing I have to say in this sermon about refugees and weeping, Jesus was a refugee. The second thing I have to say, Jesus is a refugee. We're only in chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel right now, but several months down the road we're going to encounter Jesus' final teaching, In the Gospel of Matthew, it's in chapter 25. It's a familiar and beloved passage to many of us. It's a parable of sheep and goats. Jesus says to some, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And to others, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. He also claims to have been hungry, needing food, thirsty, needing something to drink, naked, in need of clothing, sick, in need of care, imprisoned, in need of companionship and liberation. And everyone in the parable is confused because none of them recall encountering Jesus at all. And Jesus responds, you all know this, Jesus responds to those who welcomed, fed, quenched, clothed, cared, and companioned. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me and to those who failed to welcome strangers, failed to respond to needs. Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did not do it to me. As one commentator put it, Jesus explicitly takes up solidarity with those who need the basics You need the basics of food and clothing and shelter in this parable, as if to say, if you're looking for me, you're going to find me among the most vulnerable among us. Jesus is a refugee. Refugees are Jesus. We can welcome him by welcoming them, or not. But let's be real clear that it's Jesus we are dealing with. Judea, once a home, becomes a place of terror, a place where innocents are slaughtered. Egypt, once the land of slavery, becomes a place of refuge. 
And there are Judeas all around this globe, places of home, places that were once home, places that have become terror. And many of those fleeing today's Judeas have heard the mythology. They've heard the mythology that U.S. is the country of immigrants, that we here in the United States are a place of refuge and asylum, as Julia's poem describes it, a mother of exiles, illuminated by liberty's light. And while none of that has been the whole truth of who we are, for we have also been from the very beginning a place of genocide and chattel slavery, it was once more true than it is today, this day, January 6th, 2019. It was once more true. The U.S. has increasingly become a place of cages for refugees, a place of tear canisters for asylees, a place where people shoot bullets into jugs of water left in the bone-dry desert for migrants to spill that life-saving water out into the ground. We've increasingly become a place of separating parents from their children. And yes, as we prayed in our peace lamp today, there are still children separated from their families, their parents, right now, that were taken this summer. And just in the last weeks, the U.S. has become a place where children seeking safety die on our watch, a place where innocents are slaughtered. Christ, have mercy on us all. Jesus is a refugee. Refugees are Jesus. We can welcome him by welcoming them, or not. But let's be real clear that it's Jesus we're dealing with. We can welcome Jesus, or we can cage him. We can welcome Jesus, or we can shoot holes in the water jug someone left for him in the desert. We can welcome Jesus, or we can throw tear canisters in his face. We can welcome the child Jesus, or let him die while in our custody. In describing King Herod during this period of the slaughter of the innocents from the story that we heard, one commentator wrote that King Herod was an insecure ruler. He put to death hundreds perceived to be traitors. And his insecurity was matched only by his paranoia. Another commentator wrote, The fragility of Herod's legitimacy drove him to several brutal acts, including the mass infanticide of Bethlehem, as well as executing his wife and several of his own children. All too often, tyrants have considered children expendable when enforcing their own goals, and this was one more story of God's beloved community suffering through monstrous leadership. And yet again, the ancient sounds contemporary. Indeed, the empire has always massacred its children, slaughtered its innocents, just to protect the abusive power of the frightened man at the top. I didn't anticipate as I was writing the sermon how hard it would be to say these words and to say them out loud. And I want to say to all the children here, you are safe here that God loves you and we love you and we will do everything in our power to always keep you safe, all children safe.
Here's the third stanza from that new favorite Christmas carol away from the manger, Refugee King. Stay near me, Lord Jesus, when danger is nigh, and keep us from Herod's and all of their lies. I love the Lord Jesus, the Refugee King, and we sing, and we sing, and we sing. Alleluia, alleluia, and an alleluia that grows and grows as they begin to sing their hope into being. The second thing I have to say in the sermon about refugees and weeping, Jesus is a refugee. And the third, a weeping mother refuses to be consoled. What if there's no good news in the story from Matthew? I also didn't realize as I was writing it just how, wow, what a bummer this sermon is. Happy New Year, (laughs) y'all. What if there's no real good news in this story from Matthew? What if the truest thing that I can say is that this story calls us to weep? When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Two migrant children have died while in custody of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Children. Dead. With so many tragedies dished out by the news day after day, week after week, year after year, it's pretty challenging to take it all in. More people have died since then in our news headlines. You've all seen them. So it took me a long time to allow this to sink in. Two children are dead in just the past weeks. One New York Times article began like this. A White House official said on Friday that the Trump administration was not responsible for the death of a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl who died from dehydration last week while in the custody of the Border Patrol. Seven years old. That's my nephew Zeke that I just got to spend a week with. Say her name. Jacqueline Call McGuinn. I'm sure I'm not saying her name right. Anybody else know how to actually say her name? Can we hear her name, how it's supposed to be spoken? Jacqueline Call McQuinn, McKean, maybe? Then an eight-year-old boy, also from Guatemala, died in U.S. custody early on Christmas Day. Took a while to learn his name. Eight years old. That, too, is my nephew, Zeke, with whom I just spent a week. For in a couple of days, he celebrates his eighth birthday, one of our jokes from the last past week is every time he's, well, he's basically eight. So that's Zeke, too. Say his name. Felipe Gomez Alonso. I'm sure our president doesn't feel responsible for his death, either. One of you wrote me after Jacqueline's death to share your experience of also not being able to absorb the reality of the new story. You called it a self-defense mechanism, and you were right. It is for me, too. It is for so many of us that not absorbing is self-defense. 
because it's a lot to absorb. You wrote, as I started to dwell on the story a bit more, I immediately began to feel the emotional weight and sorrow of it all. When I start to think of an appropriate and just outcome, I dream of prosecution of Customs and Border Patrol agents and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Nielsen and reparations paid by the U.S. government to immigrants who have suffered long-lasting trauma and human rights abuses. Yes. Yes to all of this. Especially when research coming out of the Center for Migration Studies suggests that the denial of medical attention, the denial of medical attention to migrants in U.S. custody is a widespread and systemic problem and one that appears to affect indigenous language speakers disproportionately. Yes to prosecutions and yes to reparations. And for me, yes to waking from the self-defense mechanism of numbness and pushing it away. A first step for me, for many of us, toward that waking up is allowing myself to actually hear the story, to feel it, to really feel it, to feel the emotional weight and sorrow of it all. And when I do that, I can't help but start with weeping. A seven-year-old Guatemalan girl named Jacqueline Call McQuinn, an eight-year-old Guatemalan boy named Felipe Gomez Alonso, both dead in the custody of our border patrol agents paid by our tax dollars, both of whom, Jacqueline and Felipe, like the child Jesus, the refugee child Jesus, were simply seeking safety, a place of refuge, a better life, doing what families have done for as long as there have been families migrating across borders, away from violence, persecution, and threats, and toward safety and refuge, a place where innocents are swaddled and treasured and not slaughtered. A weeping mother refuses to be consoled. May the same be said for us. For mama translates in every language. May we too be inconsolable in the face of the horrific. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus is a refugee. A weeping mother refuses to be consoled. I'm going to insert this. So many of us have hard conversations with family members, with folks who don't live in our little Seattle bubble. Uh, I just wonder if this is an entry point, if we brought, rather than a sort of debating, defensive kind of posture, brought a spirit of curiosity to the question, like, what do you do with the fact that Jesus was a refugee? Like, what do you, how do you, how do you jive that with your politics and with what we're doing and with what you demand of your government leaders? Would that be an entry point for conversation? I don't know. I'd be really curious. What do you do? What do you do with that? I wish I had more things to say, but this morning it's really just those three things. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus is a refugee. And a weeping mother refuses to be consoled. I am grateful 
for Caitlin Wasley, who will be leading our Sunday school time together. We'll share more from her work with World Relief about the current situation for refugees who are entering the U.S., who are still daring to believe that we might be the place of refuge we've always said we were. And for sharing the work of World Relief right here in Seattle in resettling and providing companionship for new refugees. And I pray that that time together after worship in our Sunday school time will be a time of pondering together what we might do after we've wept or what we might do together through our tears. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus is a refugee. A weeping mother refuses to be consoled. May the same be said of us. May we refuse to be consoled in the face of the horrific. May we pray, as that poem suggests, that we awake to reign, God's reigns of justice and mercy and peace and welcome and radical hospitality. May we pray that we awake to God's reigns, healing all soil. May it be so.